morning. My name is Mitch. I'm stepping in for Jeff today as he's on uh, holiday for the next few weeks. Uh, I'm speaking today, and then me and Gavey will be spe- uh, speaking over the next few weeks about the life of Elijah, I believe. But uh, yeah, before I start, I always want to say uh, thanks to the band and the the singers. Uh, I always appreciate that because I realize I can't do any of this. I have no music musical talent, so I appreciate it when it's done well. So thank you guys. Uh, but yeah, if you were with us a few weeks ago, we went through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and today we're going to be going through the next three verses. I wanted to go through the rest of the chapter, but uh, it was just too much, so we'll have to do that next time. But uh, yeah, I'm going to use several passages today to support the points, and you'll see those verses on the screen. But uh, as we get ready to dive into these verses, I want you to remember that this, uh, the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul um, to the believers in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a, a very important city back in its day. It was a very big city, and uh, it served as an important strategic location because it was along many trade routes. The gospel could go into Ephesus and then into uh, modern-day Turkey, and then it could go out from Ephesus into places like Greece and Italy and North Africa. Uh, But these Ephesian believers were made up of largely, or a majority of them were Gentiles. There were some Jews, but most of them were Gentiles, and we'll see why that's important uh, for us today. I would assume that most of us today in this room are Gentiles. Um, But as we we continue, we're going to see that Paul is reminding these Gentile Christians to not forget where they came from so that they don't fall into bad habits. Let's see here. There we go, perfect. All right, so we have this warning from uh, the book of Revelation to the church in Ephesus, and it says this, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The same warning is for us today. Don't leave your first love. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, or you will lose your witness. Your lampstand will be removed. So these are strong words, but with that in mind, we can go ahead and get started. I'm only going to have two points for you today. And as usual, I just want to remind you of these truths from God's word, that we Gentiles were separated from Christ, is point number one. And then point number two is that we Gentiles were brought near to Christ. So we're going to jump into our verses. You're going to find them in Ephesians 2, uh, verses 11 through 13. I'll put them on the screen here for you in case you don't have a Bible or your phone with you. So here we are. Ephesians 2, 11 through 13 says this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. So on July 21st, 2013, about 10 years ago, my wife and one son, uh, we left the sunshine of Florida for uh, the denseness and isolation of Urumqi, China. 
We had never been to China. We had never even heard of Urumqi, China before, uh, before accepting that position there. Uh, and if you look at the map there, it's in the, uh, that red area is where we moved to. And it's kind of funny because we came from Florida, right on the beach there in uh, Clearwater, Tampa area. And we moved to the furthest place in the world from a large body of water. So uh, we were very isolated. We were a long way from home. Uh, we were in a city with very few foreigners, uh, even yeah, very, very few amounts of believers and even few, fewer English speakers. There was no more Christian bubble that we had become accustomed to. There were no more Christian friends around us, uh, no more Sundays at church, uh, just the task of sharing with the millions of people that were around us. Uh, we went there as church planters in the hopes of bringing the gospel to the Kazakh people. Uh, and because of the location there of Urumqi right on the border with Kazakhstan, there were about 1.5 million Kazakhs in our surrounding area. And among those 1.5 million people, there were only a handful of believers. So there was a lot of work to be done. Uh, we lived on a small university campus right in the middle of town. It was actually like uh, in America, we have junior colleges. So we have this family of Americans that moved to this really remote city in China uh, to live on a university campus that was a junior college. So it was very strange for them. But as we walked out of our campus, this was some of the sights that we would see. Uh, you're greeted by a military tank with a soldier on top with his hand on the trigger of the gun. Uh, there were often um, other tanks throughout the city that you would see. You would see uh, police and soldiers patrolling the streets. And these uh, groups of soldiers uh, were often, yeah, throughout all, all days or all times of day were out on the streets. And coincidentally, these things were only done in the Muslim areas of town. Uh, but why would the government feel the need to have these soldiers and tanks everywhere? Uh, back in 2009, there was a large riot uh, where uh, that resulted in deadly clashes between the Kazakhs, the Uyghurs, and the police. Many lives were lost on that day. And the biggest impact from those riots was the residual uh, hatred and animosity for the Kazakhs and the Uyghurs. Uh, they were Muslims, right? They were, they were different than the Chinese. They hadn't acclimated to the culture well, and they hadn't become Chinese. And I, yeah, I love Chinese people, so don't, don't hear me wrong in that. But uh, the, Chi or the Uyghurs, the Kazakhs, they were misunderstood, right? They, the only response that the government had to these people was to show force, and they did that very well. Uh, the tanks were on the streets, soldiers throughout town, propaganda, as you can see in the top right of that picture, uh, against the Muslims. If you wore the typical Muslim head covering, which you probably see around Germany here, uh, you were getting into trouble. If you did the things that Muslims do, pray, fast, you were getting into trouble. Um, the university campus that we lived on, uh, there were signs there that if you saw your, your Muslim student or your Muslim classmate praying, you were supposed to report them. If you wore the clothes with Turkish symbol on it, you were getting into trouble. So it was just pure racism, pure hatred for these people because they weren't like you, uh, because they weren't special. But unfortunately, uh, it's, it's gotten even worse um, today in Northwest China. Uh, today, there is a, a mass genocide, maybe you've heard of this, a mass genocide of Kazakhs and Uyghur people there. 
they're completely trying to eradicate them from the face of the earth. And the sad part is that most of the world sits by and idly watches it happen. We don't, or we do very, very little. And there is very little that we can do. That would be almost engaging in a war. But the truth is that Uyghurs and Kazakhs are being um, killed, taken away into camps there in northwest China. And we know that these forms of racism, we just saw it in Haiti, right? We saw, uh, for whatever reason, people are killing others down there in Haiti. But we know that these forms of racism and hatred are in our world. There have been plenty of examples throughout history, and we could look no further than uh, history books here in Germany to see that this is true. But Paul is going to show us in these verses today that people groups who were formerly hostile enemies of one another uh, have the ability and can now live together in peace and unity through the act of Christ on the cross, through his shed blood. So we're going to jump into these uh, two points. The first point is going to be the longer of the two, um, and it's we, we Gentiles, were separated from Christ. I'm just going to read these two verses again so we remember them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There's a lot in these two verses, and Paul jumps right into, into them by identifying us as Gentiles in the flesh, the uncircumcision. We know there's only two people groups in the Bible, and Paul makes those two groups clear here. Uh, there are the Jews and then everyone else, right? The non-Jews or the Gentiles. I assume today uh, that most of us are non-Jews or Gentiles. And despite coming from all different places throughout the world, that is who we are. We aren't Jews, right? We are the uncircumcision. And this is a, a very derogatory thing that the Jews would call the Gentiles, the uncircumcision. But because the Jews had made a covenant with God, with the sign being circumcision, they, had, or they felt like they were special. And the truth is that they were special. They were uh, the people of God. The Jews had a relationship with him that the Gentiles did not have. The Jews uh, were God's treasured possession. The Bible says, out of all of the peoples that were on the earth, God chose them. They were his people, but we can't miss the attitude that the Jews had towards the Gentiles or the non-Jews. The Jews believed that they were better than them. We are the circumcision and you are the uncircumcision. They thought we are special and there's nothing that you can do to change that. But if we dig a little deeper into these two terms, I think we'll, we'll see something. So first, what does it mean to be uncircumcised? To be known as the uncircumcised indicated that you were not of the people of God, that you were not included into the Jewish nation, that you were not a Jew, that you were spiritually unclean, that you were undefiled, unable to enter into the inner courts of the temple, and thus separated from God, as our verses said today. In a nutshell, the Gentiles were far away from God. It's not a good place to be, but the reality was that that was true for that time. The Gentiles were, in fact, not the people of God. They had no special relationship with them. He didn't meet with them. 
in the temple like he did with the Jews. He didn't protect them or lead them. So if we were living at that time, what would it mean to be, oh, pardon, how do I go back on this, guys? Let me get me back there. There we are, perfect. So if we were living at that time, what would it mean to be a Gentile? As we read in verse 12, it says this, remember that you Gentiles were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I don't know many of us who would sign up for that life, hopeless and without God on your side, separated and alienated, strangers. But if you recall from the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, all of us, Jews and Gentiles, were, were dead, right? We were all hopeless. So Paul here is reminding these Ephesian Christians, these Ephesian Gentiles, that there was a time when they were separated from Christ. They weren't like the Jews who, even though they... Uh, didn't completely accept God or Jesus for who he was. They still had a birthright with him or a, a promised covenant, a special relationship with him. These Gentiles had nothing. They had no hope and no relationship. But it's almost like Paul is, is leaving the Gentiles hanging here. Right? You can hear Paul saying something like this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Oh, and don't forget that you were separated from Christ. You were outcasts with no chance of heaven no God. And then the Ephesians might respond like this. Yeah, yeah, Paul, we get that. We remember those days. But why are you telling us? Why are you telling us that? These Ephesian Christians knew that they were saved. They knew that they had been made alive by God. So it's like Paul is emphasizing these past realities so that they don't go back into this way of living. To remember how far off they were and now grasp how near they have become so that they don't fall into the trap of looking down upon others like the Jews did to them. So if we were to look at the Old Testament, we would see how truly far off the Gentiles were. Entire Gentile nations were completely destroyed by the people of God because they stood in opposition to his people. We could also look at the New Testament and see how Jesus interacted with the Gentiles. How did he regard them? Were they a part of God's salvation plan, or were they outcasts and excluded from the promise? And we know, like living today, we know that God and Jesus have greatly brought in the Gentiles. But we need to look at these things, so that's what we're going to do. Uh, in the Old Testament, we need to look no further than the temple for evidence for the future inclusion of the Gentiles into the plan of God. Within the temple, as you can see on the screen, there were four courts. Two of the courts are not listed, but they are the court of priests and the court of Israel. They're going to be right next to uh, the entrance to the temple building or the Holy of Holies. But then you see the other two, the court of women and then the court of the Gentiles. Um, they were, those two, the court of the priests and the court of Israel were the closest to the entrance of the Holy of Holies. And the court of the Gentiles, as you can see, is the furthest away for obvious reasons. But it was the place where, or it was the place that God had designated for any non-Jews or those who had been spiritually, or sorry, that had been physically unclean and spiritually unclean to enter. So in there, they could meet with other people. They could buy um, animals for sacrifice. They could exchange money. So we can see that there was certainly a dividing line between God and the Gentiles, a difference 
uh, between the allowances of the Jews and the Gentiles within the temple. But within the temple, God was making provisions for non-Jews to enter, which serves as a glimpse into what we'll see happen in the New Testament. We could also look at genealogies within the uh, Bible. In Matthew 1, for example, we see how God included the Gentiles into his salvific plan of God. Women like Tamar, who gave birth to two sons, um, to Judah in Genesis 38, or Rahab, who betrayed her people and helped Israel, or, yeah, betrayed her people to help them, or the Moabite, Ruth, who became part of Israel through her marriage with Boaz, and who later became the ancestor of King David. All of these women were Gentiles who played very important roles in the buildup of the coming of the Messiah. But this inclusion of the Gentiles into the salvation plan of God in the Old Testament was often overlooked by the Jews. They went unnoticed. And despite all the time that the Jewish leaders or the Pharisees spent reading the Old Testament, reading the Torah, memorizing it, they didn't see the salvation, that salvation was going to come to all people. They were so fixated on the Jews being these special people, these special people of God, that they missed it. You could call it ignorance, you could call it arrogance, you could call it being blind to the truth, but they didn't see it in the Bible. And you may be sitting here thinking that the Jews probably missed it because it isn't very easy to see. It isn't clear that the Gentiles were going to be included into the plan of God. And we, in the year 2023, have a lot of access to information, right? We can, we can research it, we can uh, read different books and articles on these things. Lots of people have studied these things, so they may have missed it. But we can see in a text here in Isaiah how clear it is that God was going to bring in or graft in the Gentiles into his plan. It comes in I, um, from Isaiah 56. It says this, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. I'm going to jump down to verse 8. It says this, The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. These verses have a very close connection to Jesus' words in John 10, where he said this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And I will have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. But these verses in Isaiah 56 were written by the prophet Isaiah 700 years before the time of Christ, showing that there will be a day when the foreigner, the outsider, the outcasts of Israel, the Gentiles, would be included into the family of God. And we know that it's first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles, as it says in Romans. They are going to be added to the covenant and enjoy all of its blessings. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices would be accepted. They would be joyful in the house of God, which would be a place for all peoples, both for the Jew and the Gentile. But it's not enough to just look at the Old Testament like I said at the start, did Jesus have anything to say about the Gentiles? What does the New Testament show as evidence for these Gentiles being included or for us being included? And we can look at a few of these interactions that Jesus had with Gentiles in the New Testament. 
He talked with a Canaanite woman in Matthew 15. He met with a Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. And he healed a Roman centurion servant in Luke chapter 7, to name a few. Jesus did not shy away from helping the Gentiles, and he is actually often most shocked by their responses. So after the Roman centurion, or after he began talking to the Roman centurion, the Roman centurion said this, Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say, go, and he goes. And I, to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Jesus was stunned by this man's faith. This Gentile man had faith in Jesus to do supernatural events in his life. But if Jesus just came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, like it says in Matthew 15, why would he be meeting with and showing his power to Gentiles? He's meeting their needs because Jesus knew that salvation was, in fact, coming to the Gentiles. That the Gentiles are the other sheep that must be brought into the fold, into the family of God. Jesus is ushering in the covenantal promises of Genesis 17 that God gave to Abraham when the covenant of circumcision was established. This is one of those covenants that Ephesians 2 referenced when it said, at that time, you were strangers to the covenants of promise. And even though God never made any covenants with Gentile nations, you can see in those verses that there is a coming allowance, albeit many, many years later, of the Gentiles receiving these covenantal promises. This is the uh, covenant that I'm referencing. It says this, Behold, my covenant is with you, Abraham, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations is the first verse there. That word there is plural, nations, right? We know that God called Abraham. Uh, he promised him that he would make him into a great nation, singular. But now in this covenant with Abraham, God says that he will make Abraham into a father of a multitude of nations. Uh, and one could argue that the 12 tribes of Israel, the, the, the family or the sons that come out of Abraham in, their, uh, in his genealogy, one could argue that those 12 tribes would be the multitude of nations, and that would be correct. But we have already looked at um, the genealogy from Matthew chapter 1, and if you followed that down, we know that the Gentiles were interwoven in it, but if we followed that down, we would see that it culminates in Jesus, the one who came to seek and save the lost, the one who came for the sick and not the healthy, the one who came to fill up the sheepfold of God with both Jews and Gentiles. So we have seen these two things in the Old Testament and New Testament, that the Gentiles were truly separated from God, and they were going to be brought in at some future point. So now we can look at our second point this morning, that we Gentiles were brought near to Christ. Verse 13 says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is the difference. The violent, brutal, and sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross 
is what brought the Gentiles near to God. It's what brought us near to God. And if you think about it, it's such a backwards idea that what brought the Gentiles to God wasn't victory or conquest, but rather through the blood of defeat. But this has always been the plan of God to remove sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, as it says in Leviticus. So through the perfect Lamb of God, true forgiveness can be accomplished. This verse, this verse sorry, must have been a reassurance for the Ephesian Christians to hear at that time. It may have sounded like this to them. Remember, Ephesian Christians, you were Gentiles, and you used to be in a place where another group of people looked down upon you and laughed at you and judged you in a place where it felt like God was against you. You didn't appreciate that very much, did you? But Jesus died for you. He restored you. Or you can hear him saying this, Hey, Kazakh or Uyghur Christian, remember when the police used to gather you up and throw you in re-education camps, or they used to beat you and ridicule you for, you for the way that you looked or torture you and spit on you? Remember when they killed your brother or separated you from your parents? You despised them for it. But Jesus is holding on tight to you right now. He's healing you and protecting you from any eternal pain. Or, hey, IBCD Christian, remember when your parents questioned you about your faith, your friends made fun of you for it, your coworkers didn't include you in an after-work event because of your beliefs. Remember when the culture around you seemed to be going in the opposite direction of you. You didn't enjoy that very much, did you? But Jesus is with you. You can be confident with him. He won't let go of you. But now that you are all a part of the family of God, now that you, Gentile, are included into his salvation plan, make sure you don't fall into the same trap of looking down upon others like the Jews did. Don't hold on to grudges. Don't start treating your non-Christian family, friends, neighbors, like the Jewish friends did, or like the Chinese government did, or your local friends did. Start, don't start thinking that you are better than your brothers in this church. You have all been brought near to Christ. All the things that defined you have been changed. And look at this with me. You are no longer the uncir uncircumcision, but your heart has been circumcised. You are no longer separated from Christ, but you are near to him. You are no longer alienated from Israel, but you are citizens of heaven. You are no longer strangers to the covenants, but you receive the promise. You are no longer without hope, but you, are, you have a confident hope in him. And you are no longer without God in the world, but you are with God forever. So in closing, we who were far off and separated from God now have hope. We have been brought near through the sacrifice of Jesus. We have been united to the Jews. We are receivers of the same promise. We are one people of God. Without any reason to look down on others, but only reasons to look up to him and share the truths of his gospel with others. I hope you are encouraged in these truth, truths, and may you stay near to Christ. Let's pray. Father, I uh, 
Thank you for this morning. I thank you for the beauty of it. I thank you that the sun is shining, that the, the air is cool and crisp. I thank you that you are in control of all things. I thank you that we can gather today freely here in Germany. I thank you for all of these people that are here this morning, Lord. I pray that you would meet them where they are, the requests that they have, the, the pains, the hurts, the burdens that they're carrying, Lord. I pray that they would uh, lift them up to you, Lord. I thank you that we can open your word this morning and uh, see these truths from Ephesians 2, that we were separated from you, but you've brought us near, that uh, your, the, the sacrifice of your son is what brought us near to you, Lord. I pray that we would uh, remember these truths, that we would um, yeah, live in the truths of the gospel, and that we would take that to our, our lost family, friends, neighbors, um, and that you would receive the glory that you do. Lord, I thank you for this church. I pray for these people. I give you the glory for all that you're doing here. I pray, uh, or I thank you for all the, um, the activities that are going on here, Lord. I pray that you would continue to be honored and glorified here in Dusseldorf and the surrounding areas, and I give you the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. 